you have your Bibles open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be talking about preparing for the battle. And today we're going to talk about functional faith. Functional faith. And uh, as you're getting uh, your Bibles open, if you haven't yet, uh, I just I want to uh, ask for your prayers, covet your prayers. Um, this week is going to be a little bit uh, busy between times for the uh, pastoral staff. Uh, on Tuesday, we're going to a prayer summit just outside of Richmond, uh, SBCV sponsored. And by the way, I think Pastor uh, Dr. Autry sent that last week. In case you're a little confused, we're not installing me again today. Uh, we, that was for last week. And, and uh, he even asked me, he said, I sent a, a video. I said, well, we didn't see it. And I said, it's probably timing or something. So anyway, I appreciate getting to hear that. And, and boy, what a great message to us. Amen. That we are Calvary. And that, that is always a reminder um, uh, to us about our message. So I appreciated him sending that. But, but uh, anyway, the SBCV is sponsoring a prayer summit, and we're gonna, the pastors are all going on Tuesday. And it's not a prayer summit where you go and they talk about how to pray. It's one where they actually make us all pray, okay? And uh, so that's why uh, we're going to spend our time doing it. If it was just talking about it, probably wouldn't do it. But it's a, it's a good thing. So you have to register in advance, probably for meals, but if you just want to show up, uh, you can. Uh, you just bring your own lunch or don't eat or whatever, uh, but just you can know that and uh, you can check with us later Monday and, and find out where. The second thing, though, is where I really covet your prayers. Um, the pastors, uh, again, on Thursday, are we going to get a little bit out of town? Church member has uh, graciously allowed us to use a, a place that they have nearby um, because we want to just get together and for a day seek God about what God wants us to do together. Uh, let me ask you a, a question. It's a serious question, even though it sounds silly. How many of you have ever ridden in bumper cars? Okay. How many of you have ever seen bumper cars? You know what I'm talking about. Okay, yeah. They're loud. They're, they got lights. They're exciting. There's music playing. You're bump, there's a lot of activity, but they don't get you anywhere. And that describes most churches. It's a lot of activity, a lot of different groups spinning around. A lot of power in there, a lot of electricity flowing, but you're not, getting, you're not accomplishing anything. Now, have you ever thought about a train? I grew up two blocks from a train, hearing it every once in a while I go by. We used to put pennies on the rails. Don't do that, kids. Because <laughs> you might get run over. I <laughs> know, that's why. Anyway, I shouldn't have said that out loud, I guess. But anyhow, um, it was, a, it was a, time, a different time. We didn't wear helmets when we rode bicycles either, but... Um, and we drank water out of the garden hose. But anyway, um, <laughs> and painted our rooms with lead paint. Okay, quit. It's a country song now. But we're, we're going we're to get away because we want to ask God how to make Calvary a train going somewhere. See, a train's powerful, but it's run on some tracks. and only run on the tracks. can't go anywhere at once. It's got to go to a place designated. And guess what? God's got a place designated for Calvary. And so we want to get it there, and, and none of us are that smart. So we're going to go away together and pray and seek God and try to work through some exercises that will help us begin to figure out how to get all the cars on the track behind the locomotive and get where God wants us to go. Amen? And so we need your prayers. And we're going to eventually, maybe not Thursday, we talk about all the stuff we want to do, and there's no way we could do that in a week, much less one day. But, but, you know, we're going to examine everything we're doing, everything Calvary's doing, everything everybody's doing as a church and figuring out, first of all, before we do that, why did God put us here? What is our main purpose and goal? 
And as we, we figure that out, it's, it would be silly. Uh, if you went into surgery, you would be upset if the surgeon uh, carried a, a, a Whopper meal in there to eat while he was operating on you, because that's not why he's in the operating room, right? Some of y'all didn't seem sure of that. I was pretty sure. I don't want him dropping a lettuce or tomato or pickle in me if he's operating on me. Yeah, and so the church has a purpose, and why would we do something that does not meet that purpose? You, you follow me? Okay, all right, just so you understand, because we really need you to pray for us. We need you to pray for the pastoral staff as we do that. And, and I just want you to know, we, we take this deadly seriously, all right? And uh, we're, we're going to be looking to that. Well, today I want to talk to you about functional faith. And, uh, you know, faith is a word that we use, and, and, and I don't think we fully always understand it. Um, I, I had the privilege, Pastor Todd asked me this past week to uh, come speak, there you are, speak to, I knew I saw you earlier, speak to the uh, young, uh, younger folks, the teenagers, I don't know what we call them anymore. We were the youth group when I was coming along. What do, you, what do we call it here? That was in the upper room, okay, wow. I've never been in the upper room before. Anyway, uh, we, were in the, we were in the upper room meeting, and, and, uh, and, and so I was just talking to them about faith. And faith, see, I don't believe Christianity, you have to check your mind at the door to, to come in and believe. God did not ask us to believe in a vacuum. He gave us a set of facts, and it takes faith to accept them because you, you can acknowledge them without accepting them. There are a lot of people in our churches who acknowledge the facts of the gospel because they are undeniable. You'd be a fool to deny them because they're facts. We're living in a climate today, politically, we've just seen it in our last political cycle, where people care about, more about how people feel than what the facts are. Because, well, that hurts their feelings, or I feel. I don't care how you feel. God doesn't care how you feel. He cares what you believe, how you build your life. He cares more about your holiness than your happiness. And it doesn't matter. It's, it's like I mentioned a surgeon before. I've had a few surgeries. And, and, and I could just go. I had a, my gallbladder out a few years ago. And, and uh, I was doubled up in pain on the floor. Uh, it's first sign that I was aware of that I had a problem because I'm redheaded and diabetic. I don't feel like you feel. So I didn't, ex- I didn't experience the symptoms leading up to it till I was on the floor and I couldn't move. And that's how my wife knew that something was really bad wrong. And, and like all stubborn Scots, she said, you need to go to the emergency room. I said, I'll be all right. And uh, so she did what she always did. I saw her pick up her phone, do this and go, hello, Ruth Ellen, talk to your brother. And handed, handed, handed me the phone because my sister's a nurse. And she said, what's your symptoms? I told her, she said, it's either your gallbladder or your heart. Go to the emergency room. And so it was gallbladder. So I had it out. So guess what? The surgeon did not care how I felt about him going in there and pulling out my gallbladder. Because it was painful. I mean, I didn't feel it when he was doing it, but the next day it hurt. (laughs) Hurt really badly. But he didn't care how it made me feel. He cared about curing me. You with me? So faith is not just a feeling. It's not just a leap in the dark. God gave us a certain set of facts. Here are the facts. He's the creator of the world. He's the creator of the universe. He's the creator of everything you see and know. He's the creator of all things. And he made a man, and he made him perfectly, and the first thing that man did was rebel against him. And so Adam sinned, the Bible says in Romans 5, so sin passed upon all men, and we are all sinners. And that's the bad news. 
The bad news for modern man is we're all sinners. But see, we can't say that anymore. Because we might hurt somebody's feelings. But we're all sinners. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So God put on an earth suit and moved into our neighborhood so we could know who he is, who God is. And he lived that perfect life that Adam failed to live so he could die for us on a cross. We use big terms like vicarious death. That means in our place. He died for us on a cross to wash away our sin. And he once for all cleansed me of all my sin and made me fit for heaven even though I was not. We are trophies of grace. We've been singing about grace and his love today. I don't know if you've ever been through a hurricane. Anybody here ever went through a hurricane? Yeah, since I was a little boy, I've seen a few of them. Growing up on the coast of South Carolina, we, we, we've seen them. And my, my family went through Hugo. I wasn't in town when that hit, but I saw the devastation. So when I sing, love's like a hurricane, I get the idea, man. It'll take everything away from you. I mean, just that's the power of God's love. God loved me enough to die for me. And the fact was somebody had to die. But he died, was buried. But here's the good news. He rose again. And when I understand that he did that. And by the way, he's fixing to come back. When I understand that he did that in my place. And I acknowledge that with my mind. But then in faith, I say, I want that to count for me. It is a response to what God's doing in my life already. Whenever we come to Christ, it is a response to his work in us because we're lost. We wouldn't desire him on our own, but he puts a desire in our heart for him. And we come to him and he washes away our sin, right? So then our faith becomes functional, right? When I ask right, I'm right? Okay. So it's a functional faith because it saves me. And as we look here in Ephesians, and believe it or not, it's only two verses today, 15 and 16. And uh, if you want to stand up, we'll read these together. And then uh, I'm, I'm, going to get to, I'm going to get to what we're after today. For this reason, what reason? Everything we've been talking about. We've obtained an inheritance. And, and he, has, he has put us in, uh, in, in salvation in him. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here is Paul bragging on these believers, and then he's going to tell them what they ought to do about what he just said. And we'll get to that as we go on. But I want you to see this today, how their faith became functional where they were. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that, that uh, we, we are not just holding on to a set of beliefs and, and clinging to an ideology, but rather... That that faith has brought the person of God and the Holy Spirit into our lives individually and as a church. And that, Lord, our faith has, uh, brings you among us so that you can speak to us and so that we can respond and so that you can empower us to live the life you call us to live. And, God, it's, it's a reality. It's very practical. But it is a mystery as well why our God would care enough to do that for us. So, Lord, uh, may we, in gratitude, bow before you and ask that today you open our eyes to behold wonderful things out of your word. We bind our enemy who would seek to steal, kill, and destroy. And, Lord, we right now, in the name of Jesus, ask you to rebuke him for us. Lord, set us free. Lord, I pray for people to be saved today. Lord, we pray for ten. It's just a number to hang our faith on. Lord, we, we, we pray for this city. We pray for this state. We pray for this nation 
And God, in Psalm 2, you tell us that the worlds will be made, the, the nations will be made your footstool. So, Lord, we pray for the nations to be saved because of Calvary Baptist Church in Stanton, Virginia. And God, this day, may you begin to grant that request. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there's a statement up there. Y'all can sit down. I want you to get, what has your faith accomplished lately? I had this great idea. And so I tried to work it out. And and I probably didn't work as hard as I needed to. But I began to ask people in Stanton in the past three days, have you ever heard of Calvary Baptist Church and where is it? So I didn't find anybody that knew. Now, I was at Gypsy Hill Park and the Walmart. And you say, well, that's kind of far away. I know. I didn't go in the neighborhood. Uh, I have done that in a 7-Eleven, asked the clerk where a certain church was that I was looking at across the street, and he didn't know where it was. Which let me know something. When we come in and shout and have fun in here worshiping God does not necessarily make a difference out there unless we make sure it makes a difference. So now we're going to get to the functional part of our faith. You with me? Uh, I, I, this morning in Sunday school, uh, a, a verse was mentioned in Jude that we are to contend earnestly for the faith. It reminded me also of, a, of another verse as we were talking about that in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, uh, because we were talking about eternal security and some other things. And here in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, it says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, indeed, you fail to meet the test. He says, in other words, make sure you're in the faith. But if you're in the faith, then test Christ is in you. In the person of the Holy Spirit, God is in you. And that word test means more than see if it's so. It means put it to the test. Okay, let me illustrate that because you may not be getting it. My best friend used to race motorcycles. And this was 30 years ago. He was married, and he, and he, and he, he, he got a hankering. And uh, I don't think he could afford it. And he didn't tell his wife, but he went down to the Yamaha shop and bought a motorcycle. And since he didn't talk to his wife about it, he hid it in my garage. <laughs> and he mistakenly left the keys. And so... But that's not the point. The point was, when he was buying the motorcycle... The guys, the, the Yamaha had just come out this new motorcycle. I forgot what it was called back then. And the guy said, hey, get on this and, and ride. It was the fastest motorcycle made in that day. And nothing was faster production-wise that you could buy in a store than that bike. He said, no, sir, I, I'm too afraid to ride it. Now, he used to race them. And the guy said, it'll only do what you tell it to do. And he said, I know. That's why I won't ride it because I know what I will tell it to do. He said, I got two speeds, wide open and stop. And those are my two speeds. So he wouldn't get on it. Can you imagine buying a, a, a Lamborghini, buying a, a, I don't even, I can't even think of names of cars, a Porsche, a, a fastest production motorcycle in the world, and it's sitting in your driveway going, that, that sucker will go, man. That sucker will fly. How fast have you ridden it? Oh, I hadn't ridden it. <laughs> but look at it. Isn't it beautiful? It's so wonderful. It's pristine. It's clean. Man, the motor is it's not scarred up because I never cranked it. But man, it's a gorgeous, expensive... That's what God has done for us and that's what we do with what He's given us. He has come to live inside of us and we just bring Him out once a week and go, isn't God great? And put Him back in and go do our own thing. 
Instead of letting our faith change our life and examine yourself whether you be in the faith. And if you're in the faith, test him. See if he's actually there. See if he will do what he said he'd do. And let me promise you, I'm going to get to say this at some point today, but I'll go ahead and say it now so you get it. If you're doing what you can do, it's not of God. God wants you to do what only he can do through you. And I'm afraid the reason that is is because we pray too small. I mean, we, we, we pray small prayers instead of big prayers. God wants to see the nations come in subjection to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we're praying for little things that are going to take care of themselves whether we pray for them or not. Okay, I, I hope you get that because I don't want to be mean about it. I don't, I'm not trying to be mean about it. So I just want to ask, what has your faith accomplished lately? Uh, I've been talking to different pastors. I think I was talking to Pastor Mike and, and we were saying different ways to say this and And one of them is, if our church closes doors tomorrow, what impact would that make in the community? What are we doing in this community that if we would be missed if we shut the door? So, well, we do a great passion play, and I know I'm going to be in it this year. And it's going to be fun, and it's going to be great, and I expect to see people saved. And that's a good thing, and that's wonderful. But that is a good question we need to ask ourselves. What would happen in this community if we weren't here? Would they miss us? If God left us in this service, would any of us even notice? Those are good questions to ask yourself. Amen? Because Paul is bragging on these Ephesian people. And he says, I have heard about your faith. And when I was talking to people, and I ran into some um, Unitarians uh, at, at Gypsy Hill. I'm saying that right, right? Gypsy Hill Park. I always want to say Gypsy Park Hill. It's Gypsy Hill Park. And, and I said... Excuse me, it was a little bit older couple. I said, have you ever heard of Calvary Baptist Church? And can you, can you tell me how to get there? And they, they said, well, you might not want to talk to us. We're uni- universal. I said, I don't care about that. I, I just, I heard about this church. I want to know if you'd heard about it. And, and they said, well, don't you have a GPS? <laughs> I said, yeah. yeah. And they said, well, do you know the address? I said, okay, just stop. I'm the pastor. <laughs> All right. And I had to stop them. I said, I just wanted to see if you knew where it was. I know where it is. And, and so we, we had a conversation. Uh, we, we asked someone uh, at a restaurant between here and Fishersville, a little store thing with served sandwiches. Yesterday we were eating lunch, and we asked them, and they tried to direct us to Calvary Methodist. I don't know where that is. Uh, I said, no, 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 no. We're, she said, oh, you're a Baptist. I said, yeah. And so we're talking. And finally, my wife said, he's the pastor. I was like, quit telling on me. So, uh, but... But what I found is a lot, a lot of people have a lot of needs because we began talking. Last night we went out to eat and our waitress, who's not here today, but she'll, she'll be here next week. And she moved here from Texas with her boyfriend. Now she's got a two-year-old and they broke up. And, and she's going to church somewhere else today, but she said she'd come here next week. And I asked her, have you ever heard of Calvary Baptist Church? No, a friend of mine. We started a conversation and we asked her, could we pray for her about anything? She said, I'll pray with you. And she came back to our table. We waited to pray for the food till she'd come and join us in prayer. You know, I, what I learned is you say, I don't know how to witness. Just ask somebody if they know where Calvary Baptist Church is. Because what I found out is about 99% of the people are going to say no. And then you get, well, that's where I go. And I'd love for you to come with me. And you can open a religious conversation that might even lead to Jesus. You know, there's a difference between church and Jesus in the way we understand the word church, right? Because this building is not a church. This building's a building. 
You know, when I was a little kid, they used to tell kids don't run in church. We, we kind of lost that battle, but anyway. And I heard a preacher back then say, if you're going to tell somebody to be quiet in the church, tell it to the fried chicken. Because we are the church. That's what's going into the church, is the fried chicken. Not when we're in this building. Because that hurricane could blow this building away. A tornado this past week, seemed like we were about to have one, could blow these buildings away and the church would not cease to exist. Just these buildings we meet in, right? So the church should be making a difference in the community, not these buildings, but the church, right? All right, so here's what I want you to see. First of all, so they had a reputable faith. Paul said he had heard of it. There was an effect. Have we made an effect so that people say, have you heard what's going on down there at that church? Have you heard about the faith that's at Calvary? They prayed for this or they prayed for that or they did this and whoa, this big thing happened. Do we have a reputation and what is our reputation? Paul says there, for this reason, because I heard of your faith. Now, of course, he's asking about them because Paul planted this church. Paul worked in this church for several years. He, and from this church, the gospel went to all of Asia. I understand that. But their faith had been heard of. That He heard about the faith they had and that faith caused prayer to happen. Paul had, had heard of it and it caused prayer because their faith was focused. Notice what it says. When I heard of your faith, where? In the Lord Jesus. Their faith was in the Lord Jesus. I want to pause there for, for a minute because two things that we need to make sure we're understanding. Because I hear lost people say, well, you've got to have faith. What does that mean? Because it doesn't mean anything. It's where am I placing my faith? See, the apostles came. Jesus said, increase our faith. He said, why? All you need is faith of grain of mustard seed. Problem is not to increase your faith. Problem is you're not either utilizing your faith or putting it in the right place. I mean, a lost guy who just went to his eternal reward a few weeks ago, George Michael wrote, well, you've got to have faith. Now, you've got to be my age to even remember that. Young people going, George who? Never mind. <laughs> For us old people, we thought he was cool, but he wasn't. And we, even lost people say, well, you've got to have faith. Well, just have faith. Well, my faith saw me through. Well, what does that mean? Let's be a little more specific. Paul says, your faith in the Lord Jesus. You see, it, to, to talk in general terms about faith is not enough. Where is my faith? And I want you to notice the title Paul uses here. He says, the Lord Jesus. If, if, if Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Somehow in the church, we have, we have watered down the gospel in this simple believism. Well, you know, if you just believe in Jesus, and I know John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. But we've changed the definition of the word believe. You see, I also believe in the law of gravity. You know what that means? I will not climb up on this roof and jump off. It affects my action. But we have changed the word belief into, oh yeah, that's something I believe in. Well, do you believe, you know, and, and so that's the smoke screen that people like to throw at Christians when we witness to them. Well, why would a loving God allow suffering in the world and, and hunger and starvation and sex slave and all that stuff? And I always just I go, have you noticed that? They go, yeah. I said, I've noticed that too. What are you doing about it? 
Because obviously God's pointed out to you so you can do something about it. What have you done? See, they believe there's a problem, but they haven't done anything about it. Belief means to do something about it. Am I wrong? Am I right? Okay, good. Just make sure we're together. So my belief has to be in a person, and that person is Jesus. But notice his title, in the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been approached by an undercover policeman. I haven't. (laughs) Y'all thought I was going somewhere, didn't you? But a guy broke into my mom and dad's house when I was a teenager, and that guy got approached by an undercover policeman because my cousin was acting chief of police at the time. And so my mom calls the police, and they got on the horn, and they said, the chief's aunt got broken into. Find him. (laughs) So this undercover cop, sort of a SWAT team kind of guy, and uh, this was back in the 70s, and he came to the neighborhood, and he saw a guy standing on the corner holding, this was the 70s, holding my boombox. Kids, a boombox was a player. <laughs> now i got to explain what a cassette is. <laughs> but it's how we used to play music, and it was a big thing. It wasn't just headphones and a little thing. So anyway, so he, he this is a true story. He went by the guy, he parked, he walks back up. He walks up to the boombox and says, what you got there, man? And he hit the play button. And he heard a gospel quartet. And the guy did not look country at all. And he said, you got to be kidding me, man. Then he flashed his badge. Put his hand on his gun and said, you got a knife or a weapon, I want to see it. And the guy pulled out a big old 12-inch folded knife and clicked it open. He said, you better drop it. And he did, and he arrested him. Took him back and just waited on us to call. Because he'd already caught the guy. Well, here's the deal. That guy didn't know that undercover cop was a cop. But once he flashed that badge, he better do what he said. Right? We can say we believe in Jesus, but you better understand. And he's not undercover at all, by the way. He is the Lord Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, Christ. And that word Lord means, you're the boss, I surrender, I give up. Take over, you're it, I give. We surrender to Christ. I mean, after we surrender, we submit. We submit all that we are and have and ever will be to Him to do with what He wants. And what happens in our, in our spiritual walk is, we come to that place of faith where we give, we think, everything to the Lord. And then as we live and we grow and we mature, we figure out... Whoa, that meant I should have given him this. And even though I thought I did, I didn't. And, we come to, and then we go, well, was I really saved? Well, yeah, you're really saved. That's why you grew to the point of realizing there was more you needed to give. But theoretically, at the very beginning, Lord, you can have it all. And then, you know, a couple of years later, we went, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't know that meant that. Yeah, it meant that. You also got to give me that. That's mine as well. Like where you live and what job you have and who you marry and how you raise your children and how you do church and how you love your neighbor and those who hate you and how you minister to people in need. And all those things are not your choices, they're my choices and you just do what I tell you because he's the Lord. Right? Because somebody who's following the Lord only has one word written across their forehead. Yes to him. Yes, Lord, whatever you want. I mean, I love to read the, the testimony of Paul. I mean, he's walking along, headed to find some Christians to kill him. 
And God knocks him down. Pow! I mean, he really pops him a good one. Have you ever read what Paul said? See, Jesus said, knocks him off his feet, and he goes, who are you, Lord? I don't know who you are, but whoever you are, you're the boss. Let me just, let me just give you a smart thing to understand. If you're ever in a place and a guy pulls a gun on you, you put up your hands and go, it's your world, baby. <laughs> He's the boss at that point. That's what happened to Paul, man. He gets knocked down and he goes, I don't know who this is, but whoever it is, it's the Lord. Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It's hard for you to keep rebelling against me. That's what kick against the pricks. It's like an like ox in a, in a um, what do you call it, a, 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 a harness. And they had goads. They had sticky, pointed sticks. So if he got mad and tried to kick, he, oh, that hurt. And that's what Paul's doing. He's just kicking against God, kicking against God, and he's hurting himself. And Jesus goes, okay, you're not getting it. Pow! Knocks him down and says, dude, listen to me. You need to stop that. You need to surrender to me. Paul said, okay, whatever. And he surrendered to God in that moment, right? Listen, many people are in our churches that walked an aisle, and the pastor said, have a seat and fill out that card, and they thought that was the Great Commission. And they've been sitting there ever since, filling out paperwork instead of getting out in the community and doing what God called us to do. Faith caused prayer because it was focused. Their faith was focused in the Lord Jesus Christ. We give him all we have. We love him with all we have. We leave everything of this world and we follow him. And I, don't you love reading how Jesus called the disciples? Peter and, and Andrew and, and John and James just dropped the nets and followed Jesus. They left everything to follow him. And that's what he calls us to do. Now, sometimes Jesus says, pick that back up. Now, in Peter's case, in John and all them, he said, I'm going to teach you how to fish for men. You're going to be fishermen, but not fishers of fish, but fishers of men. But he said to Moses, drop your stick. And he turned it, you know, the story, and he told him, pick it back up. He always tells us to lay down what we have that is so precious to us. And sometimes he lets us pick it back up, but it becomes his. Because when Moses dropped that staff and it became a snake, God said, pick it up, and he did it, turn it into a snake again. You read the next passage, and it says, so Moses took his wife, his kids, all this stuff, and the rod of God, not the rod of Moses anymore. And so when we surrender everything to him, it becomes his possession, and he graciously lets us use it, but it's not ours anymore. See, it's not our house, it's not our car, it's not our bank account, it's not our job, it's, not, it's his. Sort of like that old, in the old days, they were having revival down in church. And this one guy, he was so stubborn, he never wanted to get saved. But he, he knew that to be saved meant to surrender everything to God. But God got a hold of him and he came and he got saved. And later on that week, they were there in the, in the meeting and, and uh, a, a big storm uh, came up. And, and they came running in to tell him uh, the, the locusts had come and were eating his crop is what happened. And... They came to say, the locusts have descended on your crop. And the guy said, okay. They said, well, aren't you going to go check it out? And he said, if God wants to feed his locusts with, my, with his crop, that's up to him. You don't possess... Paul said, ha- having all things, possessing nothing. It's not mine, it's his. So I don't get to choose... It, he chooses it. That's what it means to follow the Lord. And we don't come and say, Lord, save me so I can live any life I want to live. And then hopefully, so when I die, I get to go to heaven, but I don't have to pay any attention to you in this life. 
That's not Christianity at all. Christianity is a total surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And what he says is what we will do. We, we just were singing about it today. This is what we do. And he is also our savior. And that's the good part. Because all that sounds so mean. It's like he's just dictating this boss. And he is. But he says, but I call you friends. He loves us. He, he, he mercifully has saved us. It's not weird that anybody goes to hell. It's weird anybody goes to heaven. Because we all deserve to go to hell. But Jesus saved us. And we ought to be grateful for that. We ought to be thankful for that. He's our savior. He's our friend. He even calls us his brother. A joint heir with Christ. Whatever he gets, we get. That is amazing. And that's who Jesus is. That's how much he loves us. So when we surrender, we don't actually lose anything. That's when we gain all things. And as Jim Elliott, who just uh, was a missionary who was martyred, and it was just an anniversary either of his death or his birthday or something, but saw it all over Facebook and stuff. But his greatest quote that they found written in his diary is, No man is a fool who surrenders what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But we cling to the things of this world that you're going to die and leave to your children. Or is going to rot away or rust away or get lost or find just turn into a dust heap one day. And we... Anybody ever carpeted their pup tent? <laughs> Do you ever hang a window air conditioning unit one of those? You know, pave the driveway in front of it? No, of course not. You're living in a pup tent. And the Bible... Peter said, one day this tent I live in is going to be laid aside. And I'm going to exit this world. And then the true house is going to be seen. Hopefully, I'll be better looking in the next body. But, you know, <laughs> our faith has to be focused. And because their faith was focused, their reputation got out of what they had done. Secondly, it's a relational faith. Look what it says. Love for the saints. I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. These are the two big things that we ought to be known for, faith and love. We ought to have faith in Christ And love for the saints. That's his church. I mean, you know, to be with the saints in heaven, oh, what glory. But to live with them here on earth, now that's another story. And I've been, I've seen it in churches where, you know, across the aisle, people are mad at each other. You know, somebody's sitting on that side because the other guy's sitting on this side. You know, like, you know, they're fighting over what color the carpet is or whether you got chairs or pews or whether we start at 10 or 10.30 or 8 or one service or two services or sing out of the hymn book or sing off the screen or, 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 or whether uh, we, you know, put a cross on top of the church or we don't put a cross on top of the church or, you know, whether we... Who cares? We're a family of faith that ought to love each other regardless. I mean, I, I'm sure you got some relatives that have disappointed you somewhere. Doesn't mean you're not related to them anymore. Doesn't mean you don't love them. And I got some, I got some bad news for some of you. God blesses people you don't agree with. They're people of different colors and cultures and, and, and things that have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're going to spend an eternity with them in heaven. And I hope you get it all straight before you get there, if you're going. Because the Bible says, if any man says he's in the light and hates his brother, is in darkness even till now. So if you've got hatred for a group of people because of where they live or what they look like, you're lost. Say, how dare you say that to me? I didn't say that to you. Jesus, God said that to you in the book of 1 John. 
If I were you, I'd get reading the Bible instead of your book of culture. We are called to love the world as Jesus, as God loved the world and gave his only son. Amen? I know, that was tough for some. A lot of y'all going, that's right, you tell them. Well, I was talking to you, man. Um, <laughs> like I said, I'm preaching to me. Y'all just get to listen in. And then the second thing I got is love for all the saints. What do I mean by that? Not just people inside of Calvary, but we got some charismatic brethren. They're going to heaven if they don't run past. Because <laughs> they love Jesus just like we love Jesus. And they got some weird doctrine. You know, everybody's strange but me and thee, and sometimes I wonder about thee. <laughs> you know, we got some Methodist folks going to heaven. We got some people of different denominations who are actually saved. Here's the other side of that coin. We got some Baptists in here that aren't going to heaven. Don't forget that. <laughs> Had a guy tell me I was, I was doing a marriage conference. I think I told you all this, but I was doing a marriage conference with a, a Christian church, the Christian denomination, and the guy, kind of being smart, said, oh, hey, preacher, about a third of our church are Baptists. I said, yeah, mine too. The rest of us are saved. Because <laughs> it don't matter if you're Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian or Presbyterian or Church of God or whatever label. Because in heaven they fall off and hell they burn off. And it doesn't matter that. What matters is, is your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have the same faith I have, I should have love for you because you are my brother or sister in the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so it becomes relational. Amen. Yeah, you can clap for Jesus. Amen. Let's clap for the Lord. And so, not only is it reputable and relational, it's a responsive faith. Look, it causes a response. I, I love verse 16. Paul speaking, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers. An unceasing thankfulness. It caused a response in someone else. That, that they're, they're, first of all, we should be grateful for our salvation and our brothers and sisters' salvation. Because and, and, Paul's talking within the church here. He's not necessarily talking about going out and witnessing. And he said, I'm so grateful for you in the church, those who are saved. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful you're saved. But, but we as saints ought to be thankful for the saints that taught us. I mean, you're not saved in a vacuum. You didn't come to Christ in a vacuum. Somebody showed Jesus to you. Somebody loved you. Somebody discipled you, taught you, loved on you, ministered to you when you were in need. There were, there were people. You know, Calvary's here because people who, who possibly are in their grave loved Jesus enough to start this church and to minister Christ to a world that needs to hear of him. And we ought to be thankful for that. And we ought to be thankful for those coming behind us that God is saving and pour what God has given us into their life so that they can continue to serve God. Y'all following me? Everybody tracking on that? Okay. We ought to be thankful. I just learned last night, I, by accident, I didn't know. But the man, I call him the wisest man in the world, remains nameless. He's 93. He died about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. He's, he's, he's the dearest uh, uh, mentor I ever had. Uh, his name is Harold Burchett, and uh, he's, he's gone to be with the Lord. What an amazing man. I'm so grateful for him, and I'm thankful. And so I'm praying for his widow. I'm praying for his, uh, the people that knew him and loved him. And so Paul has unceasing thankfulness. Are you thankful for those that stand shoulder to shoulder with you 
at Calvary to serve the Lord? Are you thankful for what God has allowed us to accomplish, what God's going to allow us to accomplish? I mean, we ought to be thanking God for stuff He hadn't even given us yet. Because He's going to give it to us, right? Y'all know about that church that was having a drought and they had a prayer meeting that God would send rain and one guy showed up with an umbrella and nothing happened until he prayed (laughs) because he expected it to happen. Now, that's that's just a story. Let me tell you a true story. A man of prayer named George Mueller who prayed five orphanages into existence in England in the 1800s had a, an appointment in, in Canada, I believe, but North America, and he's coming across on a vessel across the North Atlantic, and just, you know what happened in the Titanic, and all fog hit, the ship slowed down, and so he went to the cap, captain's cabin. This is a true story, you can look it up. Not on the door, cap, cap, yes, Brother Mueller, Dr. Mueller, uh, how can I help you? And he said, why are we slowing down? He said, the fog's so bad, we can't see where we're going. It's four sonar radar. You know, you're going to run into an to a iceberg. And he said, you need to speed up. I need to, I've never been late to an appointment. I'm not going to be now. And I've got to get to, you know, Canada, to North America to, do, to, to speak. And I've got to be there. You've got to go. He said, we can't. He said, well, then let's pray. And the captain said, okay. So George Mueller prayed. He said, God, you know what I need. And I know that you hear my prayer and that you will answer. And just a simple prayer, something like that. Amen. You can, you can Google this. Look it up. And the captain went to pray and he said dear lord he said don't pray <laughs> and he looked and said why he said because number one you don't believe it and number two he's already done it and he opened the door and pointed and it was clear he said now let's go <laughs> our faith should inspire us to pray but it should inspire other people to go wow to seek god in prayer to cause thankfulness in others are you living the kind of Christian life that makes other people want to thank God for you? Or go, oh no, it's so-and-so. You know, Walmart, go, I don't want to talk to them. Or like, whoa, man, I was so glad Brother Kareem came out to pray. Weren't, weren't you? Amen. I trust it when he prays. And so he remembered them in prayer. He brought them to God. He remembered to bring them to God. And listen, we, 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 so often, as I said, we pray small prayers and we ought to pray big prayers. Psalm 2, God told Jesus, I will give you the nations of the world. Anything smaller than praying that the gospel be communicated to the nations of the world is too small. That it should be our prayer. That God would use Calvary and Stanton, Virginia. Say, How are we going to get to the ends of the world from Stanton? I don't know. That's not my problem. My problem is to pray that God would use Calvary Baptist Church in Stanton, Virginia to communicate the gospel to the nations of the world because it is God's will to give the nations of the world to Jesus. That is the purpose of the church. That is the will of God. There's no question about that. There's no doubt about that. You don't even have to say, Lord, if it be your will. You say, Lord, it is your will that the worlds come in subjection of Jesus Christ. Use me. Use Calvary Baptist Church in Stanton. Use us together to reach the world for Jesus. And God says, Amen. And God says, Amen. So what can we do this week where we are? I mean, we're, 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 not, we're not in Africa or Asia or Europe or South America or even Australia. We're, we're in North... So what can we do this week? Well, this week, be so focused on Jesus that people hear about your faith. 
Because I, I know that in this crowd, there are people going through some bad things. And if you're focused on Christ and what he's going to do, instead of on your problem, when people talk to you about it, Jesus will spill out instead of the problem spilling out. They know you got a problem. They want to see how you're going to handle it. And when you handle it with Christ, it can be an encouragement and a testimony to them. And then I want to encourage you to find one person that is not a Christian, not in a church, and, and find them with the help of God's leading, somebody who's outside of the faith, that you can begin to show love to and pray for and seek, and that your faith, your faith will make a difference in their life. Now, we pray they'd come to know Christ, but just focus on one. We always talk about witnessing to the world. Well, you start with one. By the way, it takes 45 Southern Baptists one year to lead one person to Christ. That's a tragedy. And I haven't even looked at our records to see how we did last year. But I'd like to beat that. I don't know about you. I'd like it to take less than 45 of us, less than a year, to lead one person to Jesus. And here's how you figure that out. How many baptisms did you have last year? How many people are in your role? Divide it, and then you'll know. So how many of us does it take to lead one person? I... If everybody led one, I mean, is it hard to lead one person to Christ in one year? It can be. But if everybody tried to do that in one year, I got a feeling we'd be twice the size. Then what are we going to do? I don't know, start new churches? Take the gospel to new places? Have more worship coming from here? John Piper said worship... Evangelism exists because worship does not, because God wills that people of every tongue, tribe, and nation worship Him. And since people from every tongue, tribe, and nation are not worshiping Him, we got to do some evangelism. Right? It's the will of God. I'm telling you, it's the safest prayer you can pray, because we know it's the will of God. You don't even have to ask about it. And so, find one person. Might be a neighbor, might be somebody you work with, might be... You might not know any. You say, I don't know any. Well, pick somebody. I mean, they're all around. And just ask God to help you find them. And then begin to do that. And then thirdly, let somebody know how thankful you are for how their faith has influenced your life. I can't thank Dr. Burchett anymore. I did thank him. I mean, he knew I was grateful. And, and he, 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 he did a lot in my life. But there might be other mentors. Last week, I, I don't know how many of y'all were here last Sunday night. But Pastor McFarlane was here, Dr. McFarlane. And he poured into my life. On purpose and unknowingly. Just his example. And I'm grateful for him. He knows how grateful I am. He could call me today and said, I need. And that, oh, yes, sir, what do you need? That, that's it. But I do that for about anybody. But I'm just saying. He poured into my life. Those people poured into my life. I'm grateful for them. And they, because of them, I'm standing here. Because they loved on me for a year. And, and, and because of all of that, here I stand today. And because of the people before that, and the people before that, and the people before that. Who has influenced your life for Jesus and you never said thank you? I know that when we get to heaven, it's when we'll really know what difference we made or did not make in this world. And my prayer is that I made a difference. It would be a tragedy to live this life and die and go to heaven. And God says, you didn't do anything. I'd rather get there and find out. My, my dad, sixth grade education, I told you all this. Never held an office in church, really. 
But a lot of people are going to be in heaven because of his witness. And it's going to take heaven to, to record that. You don't have to have a big education. You don't have to be smooth of tongue. You just got to love God and love people. And God will help you to do what he's calling you to do. Do you have a functional faith that makes a difference where you live and where you work and where you play? I pray you do.